Good morning. My name is Brad, and it's uh, it's already been quite a fun morning to you know get to plan to see Juan be baptized in a few weeks, and to I don't know bless some ladies and talk about how we see Christ in them. It's pretty wonderful, and and now I get the chance to talk about uh, what our church. Uh, longs to be about for this next year and this next decade, uh, which is pretty great. Who plans to be here in a decade? All of us, right? Uh, Even if you're visiting from out of town, uh, this sun will enrapture you, uh, and then you'll grow to actually love some people around here, and then you're stuck. Uh, So even if you're visiting, we hope that you will uh, yeah, give your ears to a, a deep calling that that God might even have for you in the city. And, and I'm going to continue to teach on what Tripp shared last week from Ephesians uh, chapter 3, uh, verses 14 to 21. And so if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If you have it on your phone, you can turn there. It's good to kind of know where this passage actually is. So if you have that chance, because we're going to call each other to, to actually pray uh, this prayer that Paul prays in the book of Ephesians for one another throughout this whole year. And so this, yeah, this is in the book of Ephesians. It's chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 14. Uh, Paul says this. He says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, To Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. This is quite the prayer. Uh, It's quite the the sentiment also. Uh, One of the things I love about the the ancient Greek language is how you can just... There's two sentences here. I don't know if anyone's like a grammar nerd. But there's two... That's that's a wonderful run-on sentence filled with meaning and powerful language and thought-provoking tidbits. It's the sort of thing that you put on coffee mugs. It's the sort of thing that your grandmother crochets and you hang on the wall... Uh, or cross stitches, I'm not sure which one is which. Uh, it's the sort of thing you put on an index card and tuck into uh, your coat jacket and pull out every now and then to, to remind yourself of. It's the sort of thing you put on a post-it note and, and stick on the mirror. It's just really nice sounding, I think. But it's more than just poetry, it's more than just strong rhetoric Uh, It's more than just a model prayer. Uh, We chose this passage to teach through these last few weeks as a vision for the church because what Paul is describing and praying for this church in Ephesus is so beyond the capacity of humans to accomplish. It's not a vision that you could simply say, hey, if we can raise a couple hundred grand this year, then we could do this prayer. Or uh, if we could just really get organized and get the right software and the right systems in place, we could do this prayer. This prayer is beyond anyone's capacity. It's the sort of prayer that you could give your life to that's beyond 
yourself. And that's why we chose it. This is the vision for every church in all times, in all places. It doesn't matter if, you, if we found ourselves in a very rural area somewhere uh, far east from here, or if we found ourselves in a, a city in Asia or anywhere else, this would still be the outlandish vision and goal for our church. So let's just look at it uh, briefly once more. He, he begins and he says, For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. He begins this, this crazy prayer, this crazy hope and longing by saying, I cannot even stand or walk as I say these things. I have to come as if someone waiting to be anointed by a king. As if someone who, who would have to crawl. No, no, not even someone with the capacity to, to run towards this. I have to get on my knees and I have to ask the Father. Uh, the, the God who, who approaches humanity not as uh, a tyrant or uh, the, the boss that we all hate to see micromanage our lives, but as a father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Paul's saying everything above and below the earth in heaven and on earth, everyone who's ever lived has sought and received their existence from this Father that I'm praying to. This is how we can already know that this is a prayer beyond and a vision beyond just what we muster up to do. Beyond a few to-do list items. This is a prayer that would require intense humility and the God who gives everyone their identity to do something. And he says that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being. That according to all of the riches of His glory, all of His weight, all of His significance, the the fact that He is the only important one. He's saying it would require, He's praying that, that God would leverage everything that He is and all of His glory so that you would be strengthened and have power that Christ would dwell within you. That you would actually have the power to exist and to be strong enough to have the very power that raised Jesus from the dead dwell within you. That the Spirit of God would be in you and that your bodies could actually handle that. He's praying for that for you. This is a vision beyond ours. And he says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. This dwelling language is so uh, powerful. It's actually at the very end of Scriptures, at the end of the story of God, what we find is that God now dwells with humans again. That, that God would make His home, His place. And we're all, I think, from other places around here. Uh, not many of us born and raised, except for August here. Yeah, boy. He's a real Angelino. But besides him, most of us in this room are from somewhere else that, and, and, and exist with this drive to somehow find a place in this world. What Paul is praying is that God, the Son of God, would find His place in you. That, that, that God would build and dwell within your life. 
that, that all of your uh, driving around, shopping, buying, paying bills, all of your career seeking, every resume you write, uh, every parenting decision you have to make, all of your dating, that all of those aspects of your life would have Christ dwelling there. And that it would require a faith to have that. That Christ would dwell within you and in every aspect of your life because He's put within you a faith and a deep conviction and trust that the power of God is within you in everything that you do. In every worry, in every trial, in every suffering, that God would give you power through His Spirit in your inner being and that Christ would actually dwell in your heart. And then He says that, that you would be rooted and grounded in love. Not disembodied spirits hovering around our existence. Not people who can just uh, get on social media and, and type out our anger to the president and send it off as if we've accomplished something today. Not as uh, people who simply wander around the earth, hoping and longing to find some sort of significance or approval or affirmation somewhere. Not as leaves blowing in the wind, but as grounded and rooted people. That whatever could come, whatever nuclear disaster could come, whatever fire might come, whatever earthquake or you know, post-apocalyptic society we might live in, we would be the people that are grounded and rooted. Not grounded and rooted, Paul prays, in a financial security, like, oh, we've got a bunch saved. Not rounded and rooted, and rooted that we have a, uh, a home that we've purchased in this city. Or rounded and rooted in our careers or what other people say about us or how many people wish they could do what we do and live where we live. But, round, but rooted and grounded. I love it. He's excited. More than some of you. Uh, But it's okay, I'll win you over by the end. But that we would be rooted and grounded in love. The love of God. And I hope that maybe you've noticed at this point in his prayer, he's already addressed the Father, who has adopted us richly into his family calling us all sons and daughters with a deep inheritance that cannot fail. To each of us, as we pray to the Father, God, God speaks back to us, You are my son and my daughter in whom I'm well pleased. Why? Because the Spirit of God dwells in us and gives us power for all aspects of life and that Christ the Son has come and made us citizens in this world to His kingdom. And he says that we would be rooted and grounded in love. Then he says that we would have the strength to even understand with all the saints, all the beautiful saints, just what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of love, of God's love for us. I I think often we pray for people to just sort of get God's love, right? Like, I hope they just know God's love and they get it. Paul here is praying that we would just have the strength to understand it. That that we we would be so uh, 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 strong that we could actually stand beneath the incredible weight of His love. 
That, that to understand His love is, would be similar to understanding how all of the cosmos work. And I am a distinguished member of the National Geographic Society. I have the certificate to prove it. And, and every, every month that I get this magazine, and it's in paper, and people can make fun of me if they want. And I read through the National Geographic, I find within it all sorts of mind-blowing factoids about society, the world, and the universe. But Paul is saying, to understand God's love is different than understanding everything about the universe. This would require a strength to even uh, consider and comprehend and conceive of God's love. It's that rich. It's that profound. It's that lasting. And then he finally says, to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. And at this point, Paul prays the prayer that there's no additional thing you could come to after that that we would be overflowing with the actual fullness and presence of God. Elsewhere in the New Testament, uh, the writers describe Christ as being the fullness of God. We'll see over and over again in the book of Hebrews, he describes that about Jesus, the Son of God. And Paul is praying that we would be filled with everything that is God. That we would be made and shaped in His likeness. That we would be uh, image bearers. That we would actually ourselves be the, the imprint and radiance of God on earth. That everywhere we go and every aspect of our human existence would be overflowing with the presence of God. This is a vision and a prayer so much bigger than... Uh, I hope we can like add four rows at the back, you know? This is an unbelievable prayer. And I think in every season of the church, in every year, in every Christian's life, we actually stand at some sort of crossroads as we embark on uh, new things, as we embark on new years. We, can, we have one option of saying, well, let's, as a church, let's be more professional about being the church. Let's like, this year, let's really nail things down. You know, this is going to be the year we get better chairs around here. Uh, or we could say, we want the fullness of God to dwell within us. And that's what we're going to chase after this year. Or within our own missional communities, these, these groups of people learning to follow Jesus in such a way that we change the city, we could say as a missional community, what we really want to do this year is nail down how we're going to share meals. We're going to download the better app, and this year, like, everybody's allergies are going to be accounted for, <laughs> and, and we're not going to even have gluten, you know, within our homes at all. It's going to be great. We're going to find, this is the year. We, we have really well-organized family meals each week. Or as an individual, we might say, this is going to finally be the year that, that I lose those 10 pounds or I you know, polish up that resume. This is going to be the year I accomplish some stuff, pay off the debt, and, and take care of life. And not that those things necessarily bad, but I think often, especially if we've been in the church or even the same church for year after year, we actually come to this place where we hear this prayer that Paul prays and that we are adopting as our prayer for this church. 
And we say, that's really neat. Like, knowing the surpassing love of Jesus, that's great. But, like, when are we going to improve our kids' check-in system? We see, we can hear, like, God saying, I'm going to give myself to you. And then what we're preoccupied with is, but how are we going to get better at church? Like, the functions of it. Or we might hear this prayer and say, man, that's so cool. God would dwell richly within me. But when is my boss going to get off my back and I'm going to have a better work environment? Or when am I going to, my kids going to stop uh, yelling throughout every meal? Because it's cool that he's saying that Christ would dwell within me through faith, but like, if they could stop yelling, that would really be the miracle around here. Or when will I get to fulfill my professional longings? It's great that God might grant me the strength to comprehend His love, but man, if I could get a promotion and get in the right industry that I want to be in, then it'll be wonderful. See, this prayer is not neat. It is the prayer for all of your life. This isn't uh, an anecdote sidebar to the vision for your life. This is the vision for your life. This is what all things are actually leaning towards and curving towards in all human history. That all humans would dwell richly with God. That the earth would be filled with the fullness of God. That the church would be a radiant beam of God's compassion and reconciliation to the entire known universe. These other things are, can be important on some scale, I know. And we will improve kids' check-in this year. Uh, and maybe we will get better chairs. But that doesn't even compare to the, to the unbelievable joy of knowing the love of God. And that is actually what God is doing around here too. That I've seen over and over again women and men in our church experiencing this sort of revival and life within them. I've only been here for a short time, but I've seen even children wrestle and grapple with the the weight of God's sacrifice for them. This is not a neat prayer. This is what God is actually doing around here. This is a prayer for revival, uh, for a renewal of people's souls and lives to what matters and what's most significant. This is the story of human history. This is a prayer for resurrection. Our dead, dying bones be made alive. Paul's prayer could just simply be summed up, I pray that you would be alive as you were always intended to be. Because that's what he's describing. A life enraptured by the Holy Trinity and engulfed in the unbelievable sacrificial love of God. That's how, that's living. There is no living apart from that. It's a transformation of our hearts to what they were always intended to be. Uh, Jonathan Edwards, who was uh, he's a famous preacher, who's dead, um, just so no one tries to follow him on Twitter later. Uh, he's got a great person in charge of his social media account, though. Uh, Jonathan Edwards... A famous preacher, he also helped lead the Great Awakening in the United States. He's from uh, the Northeast. He was actually the first president of Princeton University. Uh, So there was a time in which uh, Christians in America were regarded as like really smart people. Uh, And Jonathan Edwards, 
tried to describe what the aspects and ingredients of a revival really were. He was trying to pinpoint what it, what it means to have an awakening. And, and he wrote extensively on this, and you can, uh, I can share it later. It's lots of run-on sentences as well. But one of the key things that he said is that the true sign of revival happens in individuals and churches and cities, and it is always a, a change at the heart level. It's always a transformation of people's hearts. So when we talk about revival or renewal around here, or a revival in our church and in our city, we're talking about people's hearts being transformed and changed. And that is our deep hope and longing this year, uh, the elders and myself. It's our joy to even labor for your sake in prayer that every single person in this church would know and experience a transformation of your heart this year. That, that we wouldn't come here a year from now and say, man, we've, we've really like organized our lives better. This person in my community wears deodorant now, or this person... Uh, Uh, and our church is nicer now, but that we would actually know the transformation of our hearts this year, that there are parts of our lives that we have seen filled with pain and agony and anguish that God would bring healing and restoration into those parts of life, that for some of us we would experience a faith and a boldness that we haven't before, that that for many of us we we would not just know what we worship other than God, but that we would worship God just wholly and sincerely this year. That each person would be transformed. That, that the Spirit of God would birth something in you. So let's not get distracted because that's what God has been doing and that's what God will continue to do and that's the main thing that's happening around here. That's the main thing that's happening within us. Like I said before, I've been seeing this lived out. I've been seeing... Uh, uh, selfishness replace patience in people's lives. I've seen people uh, transform from having egos to just having genuine love for others. I've seen people wrestling with anxiety, but now finding peace that's lasting. I've seen people free from lust and just walking in a freedom to love others. Even people in loneliness finding God's presence. So who this year wants to know the surpassing love of God. Who this year wants to know the fullness of God within them as a, as a marker of a good year? Who wants to, to live in the power, that the same power that lo- rose Jesus from the dead? Who wants to live in that power as we go to work and school and all of those things? Who wants to see our doubt move to confidence? That's what I want to see that. That's what I want my, my life and my year to be about the, until uh, I die young or I die old. This is, what it's, this is what it's about. So now I have to make an awkward change into what does this mean for this year and what does this mean for the next 10 years. Uh, we want to see revival, as I've said. And the revival that we want to see begins in the transformation of people's hearts. And so I think it's good leadership that we actually provide some sort of bullet point list of these are the things we want to challenge you to as you lean into that. Um, I think we have a bullet point list, right? I did that thing I always hate when I turn and look at the PowerPoint. Uh, 
And so in 2018, we want to see our church grow in prayer for our missional communities, for our city, for our families, for our houses. And so I w- we want to challenge everyone to set aside a moment each week where you're going to actually pray for people uh, in the church and pray this sort of prayer. That, that the, um, you could even mark off and highlight this passage or crochet it and cross-stitch it or put it on a coffee mug uh, and then set aside a moment each week where for 30 minutes you pray this prayer internalize it, make it your own, say it in your own words, but that we would be people that pray as a primary agent and force within the city. The number one way we can love this city, love our community, love this church is through prayer. It's not through activity that we like to conceive of it. It's not through better uh, strategies. It's not through bigger budgets. The main thing that you can do to love people in this city is in prayer. And so mark it on your calendars and pray. We also this year want us to grow in our affection for Jesus. That each person would prioritize and deepen their life with God. Uh, not, not really life with others or life in the fast lane, whatever that is, uh, but that we prioritize our life with God. And that this would produce joy in the way that we serve and we care for other people. That we would not be uh, running away from the mission to find God, but that finding God would actually lead us into the mission of God. So that as women and men, we'd be following Jesus. We would grow in our devotion to Christ that we would know his joy amidst suffering and celebration, that each difficult thing that we're called into and each really exciting thing that we're called into, the, the main thing we'd be hoping to see and discover would be Jesus. That, that we would also this year uh, not just examine our idols and the things that we worship other than God or find our identity and the sins that we often commit, but that what we would find in its place is a deep appreciation and affection for the real thing. That we would, as a church, love Jesus and be Jesus people. That as we get together and talk in communities and in life and our DNA groups or whatever structure that we have, the main thing we would be talking about and wanting to see is just how good Jesus is. That we would hold up the cross as bigger and bigger and more and more beautiful and more and more real and sturdy for our lives. And that's why we're going to, even next week, we're going to start studying the book of Hebrews because Hebrews is simply one line after another saying over and over again, Jesus is just better. He's the better uh, priest. He's the better uh, messenger. He's the better prophet. He's the better sacrifice. He's just better. He's the the one thing to behold in this life. He's the one thing to carry. He's the one thing that you could actually die and receive more of. And that's why we're going to be doing that. After Hebrews, we'll study uh, the book of uh, Proverbs and wisdom and how to uh, live lives devoted to God as we uh, live in work and in rest, as we seek solitude and silence and hospitality, that in those things we would actually know Jesus as the very wisdom of God. That's why we also keep passing out scripture reading plans, and there will be one of those uh, starting next week. It's why we're calling people into DNA groups 
not that we would do them, but that we would know and grow in our affection uh, for Jesus. We also want to grow in our ability to proclaim Jesus. I hope you, there's kind of a progression here. It's, it's kind of neat. Uh, that we would be people that pray and talk to God and listen to God. And then we would be stirred to have affection for God. And then we would actually um, tell people about God. And that, that through all of this, we'd equip every woman and man this year to be empowered and emboldened to proclaim the gospel. That, that we would see our church as we get together on Sundays and then leave, not uh, Brad is a really good preacher, um, maybe whatever, uh, or Trip is excellent, or, or we have these gifted preachers that come up, you know, and we do this rotation thing, and that's really neat. But that actually when we disperse every week, we would actually look to one another and say, wow, we have a hundred incredible preachers in our church that go day in and day out preaching the gospel. Every woman and man in this church is called to be the most excellent preacher of the gospel that comes speaking out of love the truths about Jesus into every uh, relationship that you have. How does that sound to know that you're actually a full-time preacher? I wrestled with that when I discovered it. Uh, And then that's my vocation. But it's also yours. So that will be a primary uh, driver as we equip missional community leaders as we do things as a church. We also want to grow in our love for people who are different than us. That we would continue to lean in and to know uh, what it's like to not just worship people that, or worship or love people that are like us, um, but to actually invite the person who's very different, different age, different ethnicity, different culture, different language, that we would pursue learning what that means. And I think this is a, a definitely one of those prayers in which we would have to get on our knees because we don't know how to do that. We don't even know what that means. We all are sort of geared towards loving ourselves. Right, and building relationships with people like ourselves. But we really want to seek what it means to be agents of reconciliation in this city and care for the poor this year. Uh, later in the year, we'll have CJ and Renee Bergman from San Francisco come down, and they do this really well in the heart of San Francisco, and they'll do an equipping on a Saturday, they'll share on a Sunday. It's just a, a tiny step forward. It's going to require us reading and learning uh, a ton, and then being really bold uh, to invite people over for dinner who are different than us. The, the old cranky person in your apartment complex. The really young whippersnapper. Um, all of those things. And so this is, these are, as, as Jonathan Edwards said, the true signs of revival uh, is a change of heart in our individuals and our churches. I hope that you, would, you can see that Actually, a year from now, if we committed ourselves to doing these things, our church would look profoundly different. There'd be different people in our church. There'd be people that had heard the gospel that hadn't before. There'll be people that are stirred and broken for the city that they hadn't been before because we'd be praying for it. There'd be people that know Jesus, that before maybe just conceived of him as a good idea or a good heritage to follow. This is a revival in our midst to walk in these things and many, many more that we can't conceive or plan of. And then I also want to just sort of speak to the next 10 years, uh, the next decade, when everyone will all be here 
and there'll be many more people here. Uh, as we've met, as elders uh, and I, me and the elders have met, uh, we've, we've really begun to see and hear that Jesus is calling us to be a church that plants churches in the city, that we'd be a hub for church planting. Uh, Tripp was sharing the other day that as, as Soma Culver City has existed, about 25 church planters have come and gone, churches that started and stopped in this part of the city alone. But, but we see as part of our duty and obligation or responsibility from, from following Jesus is to be the kind of church that's a hub and a home for church planners that we would actually get to send and see a whole family of churches exist here in the city. Uh, a family of churches meaning a group of people, a group of churches that care and share resources together, that we don't have to recreate the box every three years, but that we would share um, our financial resources, our equipping, our training, our systems, that we would be a church uh, that is made of many churches all longing together to see the city experience revival. And so we hope to see three to five new churches in the next 10 years started outside of ours, uh, different representations and bodies uh, that are able to be in new neighborhoods, new parts of the city that, that get to better represent those neighborhoods and those parts of the city, but also uh, get to equip and nurture disciples everywhere. So this is going to require... Uh, a lot of us, I think. It also will require uh, much more from God, as we described before. This is the sort of uh, goal and vision. I mean, you, we can look around the room right now and say, well, this is a whole bunch of you know, good-looking, smart, competent people. Uh, but this is not something we can do. Uh, you know, I, I look at like the numbers or the statistics or all of those things, and, that's, and it's not like, oh, easy. We do five churches, like it's making a widget somewhere. Um, we could make five pizzas right now, but we couldn't make five churches. That's something God would have to stir and do within us. It would require a whole bunch of us, of, as women and men, being equipped to lead uh, these new churches. And so I just want to highlight uh, what it, some of the realities, and we'll talk about this a ton over the next a year and years about what becoming a church planting hub would actually look like uh, because those might even sound up like made up words to you. Uh, the, the first one is uh, we'd be an equipping center that we would be coaching and training new leaders to start new communities and new churches. Uh, this, by the way, is what um, we've been doing all along. Uh, every time we do a new uh, missional community leader training thing, we're training new church planters. We're training new men and women to plant churches. Because uh, every new missional community that starts has within it the DNA of becoming a new church. Uh, and we would see uh, the equipping and the training that we do, every quarterly training, all of that is about us equipping people to start new churches. Uh, this would also uh, include... Uh, ways in which we would um, train church planters that might move here through Soma Sending, like Josh is wrapping up and Jeff are wrapping up this year, that we would be a place that houses a lot more 
They're not the, the first and last Soma sending residents, but they're just the first. And we hope to see many, many more people. Uh, also this year, we're going to host a Soma school, which is going to be a five-day immersion where we have people from Los Angeles and California and the West Coast actually coming to spend five days with us learning how to be a church of missional communities. And that will require all of us to host and participate and love uh, those people. Uh, later this year in the fall, we'll be uh, leading a Soma School 201, which is for people that are about to plan or lead churches. Uh, we'll be doing that in Utah, but Tripp and I will be the main teachers, and it will involve a lot of people from here going and being in the beautiful mountains for a few days. Um, we also uh, are going to be training uh, and coaching people beyond our city, as, and we're going to continue to do that. At the moment, we, cr- we train and we support and we coach uh, churches in San Francisco and Philadelphia, in Portland, Portland, and in Denmark. This will also require us to send new people to start new communities. Uh, becoming a sending church uh, means that we will love people really well within our church, and then we'll send them out to start a new missional community. And I think in the next year or so, we'll be able to see a real beautiful representation of this as uh, Josh and the other people from uh, our church will be moving to Venice to start a missional community, and we hope to see that missional community multiply. And as that missional community multiplies, we'll say there, there needs to be a new gathering there. As that group of missional communities matures, we'll say that needs to just be its own church, and that we will be a family together of different churches in the city. And so that will require, uh, again, people moving to a different part of the city than they might want to live in, uh, discovering a love for a part of the city they didn't have before. But that's really what it will look like, not just in Venice, but hopefully in the South Bay, hopefully in areas that we haven't even conceived of yet. And we'll also, uh, in the end, it'll be sharing resources so that when we send out, we start these new churches, we don't, they don't have to recreate their own booking system or buy all their own new gathering equipment or any of those things, but we could actually share all of that stuff. Uh, we don't need to uh, have everyone buy and recreate these things, but our finance team could actually be a finance team to many churches, that our, our equipping calendar, our training events could be training events for many churches uh, that are... Uh, check-in system subscription for kids could be that for many churches, right? Uh, That our preachers could be preachers for many churches and so on. Uh, Then lastly, it would require financial investment in people as they start churches here and around the world. In the end, we get to also uh, put our, our money where our mouth is and actually give it to people to see new churches started. And we currently give 10% 10% of our, of our finances to seeing churches started. Uh, we, we're giving this year to citizens in San Francisco, in the heart of it. We're giving to Missio Dei and Mesa as they start a new church, uh, which is probably a good time to mention a lot of this. How do we be a family of church? As we've learned from our brothers and sisters in Missio in Phoenix that uh, they've, they're now on their fourth church that they've planted in the city. And so we're learning from them and we're also supporting that fourth church. And then we also support Epiphany here in Los Angeles. And these are not just, you know, financial sort of like investments like stocks, but these are representative of relationships that we're building. We also give to Soma National, which is a family of churches like ours. Uh, Not all of them have our name. uh, where We're planting churches all the time as as a group of churches in North America 
We give towards Acts 29, which is a similar group of churches that's investing in church planting in L.A. And then we've also, and I think this is pretty cool, we've created a savings fund as a church to where all the sort of surplus funds that we give, we pour into this fund that will be towards church planting in the future so that, so that we don't have to you know, start giving way back in the day or way in the future. Oh, now we should start giving money so we can help this new church in Venice or in South Bay or Hollywood or wherever it is, but that we'd act, we're starting now to put that money aside to invest it in the future. And so that's what I think a real huge snapshot the next decade of our church will be like. I think it looks like us here in, in Culver City growing deeper and deeper in our affection and our effectiveness and sharing the gospel. It looks like us seeing many more missional communities here in Culver City uh, that we would one day have uh, you know, 30 or 40 MCs in this small section of L.A., but that we would also be sort of a training ground and sending ground for people to start churches all over this city, uh, not just ourselves. I just want to conclude by reminding us of who we are as a church. Uh, We're a family of missionary servants proclaiming Jesus in the west side of Los Angeles through our words and through our actions. And we exist to see Los Angeles saturated with the gospel so that every woman and man and child would have a daily encounter with Jesus. And we see that as the city becomes saturated with the gospel, where people can't Uh, get out of knowing about Jesus, that they'll be surrounded by these people that just love Jesus and they keep talking about him in really wise and winsome ways and they keep loving them. Uh, We think that as as that begins to happen, we'll see the people of L.A. reconciled to Jesus, reconciled to God, that we would see our neighborhoods and our city without need, that the renewal of Los Angeles would be cultural, would be social, uh, it would be spiritual, and it would all be done uh, in the glory and the name of God. Uh, that, that all of the things that we often complain about that are broken and destroyed in our city and in our industries, we would actually begin to see God make those things untrue and make them whole here. As the gospel is not just proclaimed, but people hear the gospel and are transformed. Uh, we long to see a revival here. The same revival we talk about our, uh, for ourselves, that we would be filled with the fullness of God, that the city would be filled with the fullness of God as well. I want us to practice... Thanks, Sarah. Uh, so let's, let's pray right now, right? It'd, it'd be one thing to talk about all this and say, sweet, we should all pray more, and we could walk away. Uh, but what if we prayed more now, like today, in one minute? Uh, so I want us to get together in groups of two or four. Uh, don't make it a complicated, you know, coupling of people. Just turn to the people next to you and pray. Pull up Ephesians three fourteen through 21 and begin praying this for our church. You don't even have to introduce yourself to the other person. Just turn and begin praying out loud, and then Jared will come and, and close us. Let's pray to see Christ do all this work, that we'd be even strengthened to have the power of God within us. Father, I do pray um, that you would continue the revival that you've begun in our city, in our hearts. Um, Lord, that we would feel the reality that is 
each one of us begins to see you more clearly, Jesus, as we begin to behold you and what you're like and what you've done for us, that we are changed. And as more and more and one by one we're changed, Lord, your love goes forth in our city. And so that uh, I pray that we would see that. Um, I pray uh, just as this, this quote that uh, I was uh, meditating on this week, Lord, that we would see ourselves as children swimming, paddling at the edge of the ocean, and that we would launch out into the depths of your love. Um, that we would see um, how we as children can venture to ask the Father things that the servant never could. I pray that we would ask you as our Father um, to do these things, that we would be a part, uh, we would get to be a part of you redeeming um, LA, that you that it would start in our hearts as we um, confess our sin, as we come to you, as we are liberated from uh, bondage and set free into the new life that you've given us, and as we walk out our um, inheritance as being your heirs, your image bearers, and your uh, sons and daughters in this world. I pray all this in Jesus' name.